Hey friends, welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. We hope you enjoy what you're listening to, and may you find peace and grace in all the words that are before you. God had you here for a reason. Uh, We'll be in chapter 10 today. Uh, This is a subject that brings up a lot of big feelings for most of us. Um, Most of us have been affected by divorce in some way or another, whether it's our own selves or our parents or family members or our friends who have been divorced. Divorce is not a simple or easy conversation. It's been thousands of years that people have been struggling with the same things on what to do about marriage and divorce and remarriage. We have been and will always be wrestling with the tensions and the complexities of divorce. And most of us have have been affected by the pain of divorce in some way or another. Now, the church has historically, sometimes, done a pretty poor job when it comes to marriage and divorce. I mean, this should be the safest place ever, but sometimes what happens is the church elevates marriage and elevates married couples to some sort of virtuous pinnacle of holiness where all of the sexual struggles that you once experienced is done away with once you put a ring on it and you're good to go. (laughs) And this virtuous pinnacle is highlighted as God's best for the single person. And oftentimes singles ministries are actually a front for single people to get married, <laughs> to find their spouse. That is not what the church is meant to be like. That God's best is not marriage. You are God's best. God created you as God's best in your current state. So firstly, marriage is not the answer where you will find all of your life's needs met by this one person. There's that scene in the movie, Jerry Maguire, where Tom Cruise says to Renee Zellweger, you complete me, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, and it's so sweet, it truly is. But that's a fallacy because you you cannot be looking for another person to complete you. If you are looking for somebody else to complete you, to make you whole, you will end up disappointed. Marriage is meant to be a covenant relationship where two already complete people believe the best about each other, build up the other person, and bring out the best in each other for the good of their marriage and for the glory of God. So the church, yeah, the church oftentimes either uplifts marriage and, and, and families, marriage and families, to some sort of holy pedestal, or they have shamed and shunned the divorced. I just read a blog post recently about um, this woman who felt abandoned by her church when she went through an excruciating tearing and severing of divorce. But she noticed that another woman from her church, it was a fairly big church, so you know people could get missed out and that sort of thing, but another woman from her church whose husband died had this abundance of casseroles come her way during her bereavement, yet this newly divorced woman who held the shreds of her broken marriage in her hands never even received a phone call. I'm going to get into God's word in just a minute here, but I want to hear from, from us. Like, How has divorce affected you? I mean, maybe you know of someone whose divorce actually caused 
both people to finally be at peace with each other and to find joy in their lives because of their divorce. But then other times there are wounds so deep from the experiences of divorce that it's still hard to talk about. So how has divorce affected affected any of us? Anybody want to share? Yeah, Shelby. Um, I believe that as a child I went to church uh, every week with my mom and her and four children. And it was a beautiful thing. And when my father left my mother, the church said that she was no longer welcome in the church. And so wow. that is the last time my mother ever went to church. She thought that it was all over. So it took me 30 years to come back to the church. Wow. Still living today, me too, but she has such a, a scar in her heart that she was, uh, yeah. Wow. And that was not, not with the new generation. Wow. Yeah, not welcome. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Thanks for sharing that, Shelby. Anybody else have a story of how divorce has affected you or influenced you? Yeah, Jay. Yeah, mine was, uh, so my parents got divorced when I was like six, and my mom had such hard feelings towards my dad for good reason um, that she kind of painted this like really bad picture of my dad growing up, and so I ended up, you know, that, that narrative was in my head. Um, it wasn't until I was older that I realized like, oh, my dad's actually a human being, and yeah. he has a story, and he, um, you know, he, he can play a role in my life, and he actually isn't all these things my mom is. Interesting because I still talk with even when I talk to my mom, she'll still bring up my dad. Like, mm. like it happened, yeah. you know, just recently or something. 35 years later. Yeah. 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 yeah, what I've noticed is um, I think my dad wanting to, um, to add this holiness to his union, so kind of jumping into marriage, mm. but it wasn't always the best idea, so it's less of Wow. And so I've seen him pressure me, like, when are you going to get married? And sometimes I'm like, it's not, you don't always want to rush into marriage. Mm. Just, there's a lot that goes into it. So mm. I, and I've seen, I've had friends that I grew up with in Christian school that got married, like, right away. Mm-hmm. And, um, and ended up getting divorced or had a lot of issues because there was this pressure to be married. Right. If, you have right. a, um, if you're in love with someone, you should just get married right. without, like, understanding. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm actually not divorced yet, because it takes it really hard to do paperwork and everything for me. Yeah. So I've, I've asked her many times to do it, she won't. Mm. So she's a new man in her life. So I feel, I, and then she says she's very strong, so then, <laughs> does that bigger me? Something really wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. also, my mom divorced. Her first husband, that was my older brother's dad, she, not, she didn't become a Christian anymore. She kept, uh, took her faith back. But then when I became a Christian, she got her faith back just by watching me. Wow. It's incredible. She's Catholic, but I still believe. Yeah. She still believes what I believe, which is just everything. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Jason and I were going through pre-marriage counseling. Anytime that we marry people, we, we do really extensive pre-marriage counseling. I feel like it's incredibly important. 
But we had a pre-marriage counselor who heard Jason's story that he came from a divorced home and the, this counselor said, oh, you probably sh- shouldn't get married then because Jason only knows divorce. And it was like it was like this generational narrative that our counselor was perpetuating onto us. That was it was a little it was a little disturbing, almost like almost like God doesn't redeem things or something. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I was pushed by the church to marry her, even though it wasn't the right time. I felt. Yeah. And just escalated from there to worse. Yeah, that's really rough. Well, let's uh, let's see what God says about it in the scripture. Let's turn to uh, chapter 10. Mark 10 will be in verses 1 to 12. Uh, and, and then I have some thoughts about it, and then we'll go into our time of response uh, with worship today. So it says here, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. I love that, again, crowds of people came to him, almost like, you know when you're in like a great desperate need, you can't help but just push forward to Jesus. Like you just you have to get there no matter what. And I just I think that there's so much in that language there. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?" "What did Moses command you?" he replied. They said, "Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away." It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were at the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So there we go. We got a really easy passage today. I, you know, this is about marriage and divorce, but at the same time, even if you've never been married and you've never been divorced, I think that God's word transcends those sorts of um, labels that we have or, or sorts of beings. And so if this is not something that's resonating with you, it, it dig a little deeper. I know that I know that Jesus has something for each of us here. And before we get into this passage, I think it's really important to talk about um, it's, meant, it, it's important to mention that when two people, two equal people, committed and caring for each other when it comes to a marriage, if, if one person in that marriage is abusive physically or mentally or emotionally, if they are causing harm to another person, then that is not what a marriage is meant to look like. If you know anybody in a space like that, then you need to advocate for them to get out. Jesus is not saying, oh, okay, if they have cheated on you, then that's your only pass. If you are in harm's way, it is absolutely important to remove yourself from that situation, seek help, get counseling, and we can be your church for that as well. So there's a couple things that stand out to me in this passage uh, with this encounter of Jesus with the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees, you know, are the are these religious teachers. We've talked about them a lot here. They're they're uh, they follow different spiritual leaders and different spiritual uh, voices in their community. There were two theologians that they followed most um, rapidly, most extensively. Uh, their names were different rabbis. Their names were Hillel and Shammai. We've talked about Hillel and Shammai before, but. Hillel and Shammai are two different rabbis with two different schools and opinions of, of thought when it came to God's law. And, and they had different thoughts specifically with concerning divorce. Uh, they had their own schools of disciples, and their disciples or students would then learn after them and have the same kind of thinking. The school of Hillel had more of a permissive view, like a liberal view of scripture. Shammai took a more restrictive or conservative view of scripture. So for Jesus to take that thing and, and the, you know, the disciples are like, what do you think about divorce? How, when can a man divorce his wife? And Jesus says, well, what does Moses say? Jesus is talking about a passage in Deuteronomy 24. And this is a passage, you're welcome to turn there if you want and just like read it on your own. But this is a passage that had been debated throughout the years. Moses had relented over divorce by offering men the option of sending their wives away with a certificate of divorce when something indecent took place. The language in Deuteronomy 24 is, if your wife does something indecent, you can send her away. The word indecent in Hebrew is erva, which means nakedness of a thing. So Shammai would look at that word erva, and on nakedness of a thing, and he would really focus on nakedness. And he said, okay, if your wife is has an affair or is unchaste in some way, then a man can divorce his wife. And Hillel, Hillel's group focused on the other portion of a thing, which could be anything. <laughs> so it went, which gave the man permission to send his wife away for any reason that he deemed necessary, even if she just burnt his food. There were cases where she burnt his food and he sent her away. So Jesus, this passage of scripture that we read, Jesus is entering into a very specific debate that was a hot topic of the day. And most people would have avoided this subject because it was controversial then, just as it is today. I think it's important to recognize that where these, th this passage of scripture lands within the text that we're reading, within the, the gospel of Mark, um, the, if you look at our Bibles, it has chapters and verses and little headings above it. That was not in the original Greek. That was added for our convenience later on while we read the scriptures. So the text is meant to be read almost like this continuous flow of thoughts of who Christ was and what Jesus did. And this passage that we just read is actually sandwiched between stories and conversations around the most vulnerable and marginalized in the world. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at that desperate prayer of that father who prayed out, I do believe that Jesus, you can heal my son who is demon possessed. Help me in my unbelief that you can heal my son who is demon possessed. And that desperate prayer was from a father who had been marginalized by his community because he stuck with his son who was demon-possessed. If he left his son and abandoned his son, he could still be entered into the community, but he chose to stay with his son. 
So we've got that portion of scripture. Right after that, we have the portion of scripture where Jesus is turning his attention to the children. And he's saying, anyone who welcomes and includes children is welcoming and including me. It's the same thing. So we've got the father of a demon-possessed kid who would have been marginalized from his community. Children were the most vulnerable in their community. And it starts right before we get to this passage. We've got that passage of children. And then I also connected it with the passage right after, verses 13 to something or another, is also on children. Children were the most at risk for exploitation and being taken advantage of. And then we also have unmarried women who were the most vulnerable at that time as well. So three to 4,000 years ago, during the time of Moses, When a man was tired of his wife or found her unattractive or wasn't she wasn't able to conceive children, he could separate himself from her and their marriage would be over and she would be sent away with no rights and no provision and no protection and no dignity. And it was fully on his grounds and his opinions He had absolutely every right to send her away. Because daughters were considered a liability during this time, if they were not married, fathers would have to get this whole sum of money called a dowry together to give to a man who would marry their daughter. And so if that man no longer wanted to be married to his wife, he could dismiss her and send her away with nothing. She came with a dowry that was now his. She leaves with absolutely nothing to to her name. She'd be single and she'd be unattached. She would have no money, no people. She would be living in a very primitive world. Most often families would not receive their daughters back. Uh, and then she would probably would never remarry because she was already defiled. If she was found with another man, though, even though she's not with her husband any longer, if she was found with another man, she would be stoned to death because she would be committing adultery, being that she was still married, even though she was sent away. She was without honor or dignity or virtue, and survival for women was dependent on being a member of a household. And if you were not associated or connected with a household, the only option that you would have in that world was to become a slave or a prostitute. Now Moses, knowing God's heart for the oppressed and for the marginalized, he acknowledges the realities of divorce. This is what's happening in the world around us. We get it. This is happening and how husbands were treating their wives. And so Moses is saying in, the, in Deuteronomy 24, he's saying that if you no longer want to be married to your wife, you have to give her an official, legal, recognized certificate of divorce, a paper, a piece, a document that she can take with her. And in that process, you would be giving a way to restore her honor and dignity and virtue in a culture where women were sent away and had none. So while this might seem really antiquated to us, it was incredibly progressive and very pro-women, that kind of a law that Moses implemented. Before the Pharisees bent on testing Jesus and keeping the conversation about a man's right and a man's patriarchal power in that society, what Jesus does here, if you notice in the last verse in verse 12, 
He creates equality between man and woman by saying how she can divorce her husband. And and that that not just him divorcing her. So Jesus like he bestows this equal power towards women, not as God's best, but just saying this is a level playing field here. And Jesus then shifts the conversation away from what's legal in courts to what marriage designed by God is to look like. So Jesus uses this language of marriage between two people where they are so bound together through this commitment that they become like one. This does not mean that like they lose their sense of identity, like you know Sherry and Bob become Barry or something like that. You're not like doing that sort of a thing. It's it's not that they're losing their sense of identity, but it's actually that they become the person that they were meant to be because of the partner they have. It's this mutual connection and complementing of the other person. That marriage is actually rooted in human identity, but each person, even though that each person is their own individual person created by God, that each person is no longer just their own in a marriage. You no longer only think about yourself when you are married. You lay down your desires first for the sake of your spouse. Marriage is a continual, mutual, loving submission to the other person to see them grow and thrive and seek God even greater. The best marriages are the ones that are constantly pointing the other person towards God even more. Because marriage is never meant to be an idol that we serve. Marriage should only point us towards God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes that he writes to married couples and he says that they are to submit to each other out of respect for God. So Jesus describes marriage as a very serious commitment. It goes beyond the courthouses. It goes beyond the contracts that we sign. Jesus speaks of a divine sacredness where God is joining two people together and where a piece of paper declaring marriage or divorce doesn't actually mean anything. What we've, what we've done, though, in our society is we've made marriage into a wedding where people who are joining their lives together and committing together for the rest of their lives are more focused on the day they get married than the lifetime that comes after that. We create Pinterest boards and we map out our wedding and we plan for years or months and we have every detail to a T for that one day and five hour experience we're inviting our people into and we're not willing to put the effort into the lifetime commitment that we are going into. And the wedding industry is such a distraction from the sacred covenant and bond. And people prepare for a wedding with utmost seriousness, where everything is planned out, and yet many approach marriage with a lack of seriousness, almost casually forming it, and then believing in that casual formation that they can then casually break it. But most of us in this room know, no matter how casual you try to come into a relationship, it never ends casually. There are casualties that happen. 
Two people can say they can consciously uncouple if it's getting too hard or the other has just changed too much or it's just not working out anymore. But we know that there is so much destruction and heartache that comes within those decisions. Marriage is not a contract that we sign with good intentions of following through, but then we break it when things aren't working out any longer. Marriage was designed by God to be a covenant. A covenant, we've talked about this so many times before, but I'll go over it really quick. A covenant was this ancient tribal practice where two parties or two individuals from a family, like either families or villages, would take this animal and they would slice the animal down the middle. They'd put one side of the animal on one side and the other on the other side, and then they would walk through the path between those two animal pieces to signify a covenant commitment. They are saying that I am committing myself to you to this agreement, to this promise. I will not break this promise that we are making together. The covenant would expire on their death or would continue forth into future generations, depending on the agreement. The animals would represent what would happen to each person if they would not uphold that covenant commitment till death do us part. And so we read in the Bible how God covenanted with Abraham and with Israel, committing God's self to a people. We read that in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, we read how Jesus created a new covenant, not based on laws and perfect obedience, but based on relationship and love. And this new covenant was revealed on the cross, where Jesus gave his life to reveal such love. Jesus says in John 15, 13, that there's no greater love that has ever been seen than the kind of love where one lays down their life for their friends, this covenantal friendship. Marriage is based on covenantal friendship. Church is based on covenantal friendship. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is based on covenantal friendship. And this covenantal love that Jesus has invited all of us into, it goes beyond the here and now. It goes beyond what we're experiencing today, what, we're, what we feel today, while we have breath in their, our bodies. It goes beyond that and goes into eternity where our saints who have gone before us already exist. This covenantal love is not just for my relationship with my spouse today. It goes beyond all of that into eternity. And it extends far beyond emotions and far beyond feelings. When we covenant with Jesus, just as in the case of a marriage, those feelings come and go. There are some times where you're just like on fire for Jesus, in love with Christ more than anything else. And there's other times when it's just like, I don't know if you're even nearby anymore, Jesus. Why don't I feel you living within me? Where is this connective space that's supposed to be here all the time? There are feelings that come and go in relationships and marriage and in our relationship with Jesus. A covenant is not something like a contract that we break. A covenant comes and goes. I mean, it doesn't come and go. It like flows. It ebbs and flows with what is going on in our lives. So the cross becomes something not for us, but something in us. Not only for us, but it becomes something within us. This saving that happens through Jesus isn't something that happened that one time, but it actually continues 
to happen to this amazing covenant of God's faithfulness to keep God's promises. God is committed to us. The covenant of marriage becomes a picture of the gospel. It's meant to put the good news of God's faithfulness on display. So then marriage isn't something that Jesus is just trying to defend to the Pharisees. Marriage actually becomes a metaphor of the covenant commitment of love between Jesus and his church. Jason and I have been married for almost 19 years. <laughs> we have changed so much over those 19 years. I am not the person he married, and he is not the person I married today. We have grown together. We've had to adapt and move together and give up expectations and grab hold of new ones. About six months into our marriage, after we said, I do, Jason developed this severe anxiety disorder to where he lost his job, he couldn't get to school any longer, he was unable to drive, and he couldn't be away from me for very long without going into a panic attack. And I remember saying to myself, this isn't what I signed up for. Like marriage was a contract where he broke his end of the bargain. Like this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I said yes to. The thing is though is that marriage is not meant to be a contract. There's a reason why we say in our vows that we'll hold each other through sickness because contracts don't create room for change. When people change, if they break their end of the bargain in the contract, all the things we've listed out, then we are willing to break that as well. A covenant, a mutually submissive covenant, is one where you are free to be you, who God has made you to be, where you are loving other people and loving God and changing without fear that your partner won't understand or might leave you. Perfect love casts out fear. And when it comes to Jesus and the church, that covenant commitment that you made to Jesus, that Jesus has made to you, Jesus is, is moving with you and you are moving with Christ and you are changing as a person all the while being enveloped with Jesus. You grow and change and adapt knowing that your relationship with Christ won't be severed for any reason that you abide in Christ, that you are so connected to Jesus like you are part of the same vine. The fruit produced in you is this covenant, committed fruit that is so good for those to come. But there's still a reality within all of this, you guys, that divorce still happens. It just does. Dallas Willard is a pastor, and he says in his book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy, he says, Divorce, if we're done rightly, would be done as an act of love. Divorce would be formed by love and done for the honest good of the people involved. While we believe in miracles, in restoration, in things being raised from the dead, that God will breathe new life in things that we thought were dead for sure and there was no hope left, God can still raise that from the dead. There are some things that do die. 
There are pain and goodness. There are marriages that that are toxic to each other. People that are actually damaging each other's soul while staying in it because one person or both people are not willing or not able to change. And it causes damage to people. I have known marriages that have suffered and people have died within their marriage. The marriage has, has fallen apart And then, but in the same breath, I've seen remarriages from people where I see the gospel on display. I see the fruit of the spirit happening and announced in their marriage where God is glorified through the remarriage. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit all the time, but I've seen it. I've known it to be true. There's a new birth that can happen when two people are going through life and a new thing can happen. There's like this unending supply of hope and grace. So just to transition here, I know, I know that some of us could be holding on to different kind of pain through divorce. I think that the main thing that Jesus is expressing here, besides the fact that the covenant of God is lasting and forever and binding, is that we have a hard time covenanting when we hold on to those sorts of painful things. We aren't willing and able to forgive. I think forgiveness is one of the most important aspects of being in relationship with others because we cause offense and heartache to others all the time. And if we're not in that space of of, of humility of heart and willingness to forgive, willingness to be forgiven, then it's hard for us to be in a real, authentic relationship with others. Marriage is sometimes a scary idea for some of us. Maybe you're afraid you'll make the same mistakes as your parents did. There's definitely a fear there. Sometimes you have to go into those dark spaces or places, those hard memories of the past to forgive and to learn and embrace the joy and the light that marriage can bring and is meant to bring. Or maybe you have no hope for your own marriage or your future marriage. Maybe you've already experienced divorce and maybe you're on the brink of divorce and you feel like you've tried everything and it simply feels hopeless. Or maybe you've been crying out to God and you're asking God to fix it and you feel like every time you're asking God to fix your marriage or your relationship or your covenant commitment with with the people that you are in this world with, with your family members, you feel like you're crying out to the void and you don't get any answer. I want to leave us with some hope for today and it comes from Daniel 10:12. If you want to turn to Daniel or you can listen as I read it. Daniel is in the... Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, he was a prophet. Um, And we'll be in Daniel 10, 12. This, This prophet Daniel had been seeking God. He'd been praying for his nation. And he had been praying for a miracle to happen. And he was desperate in his prayers. And he prayed and he fasted for 21 days. And all he heard was silence. And then it comes to verse 12. It says here, I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse 12. And this is an angel talking, and this angel says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Okay, 21 days. He was praying and he was fasting and God never responded in the way that he wanted God to respond. And this angel comes and he says, from the first day 
The first moment you spoke at that prayer, that first time that you were feeling so desperate, I heard you. We heard you. It took a while to get here, but we were listening. And I think what we have to see is that God is always working behind the scenes. That this verse shows us that when we're in our desperate places and in those broken relationships and those unknown futures and we're in complicated circumstances and we're desperately waiting and praying and hoping God is still working behind the scenes. And while we pursue God in our prayer and our fasting, while we seek God, even though it feels like we might be on our own, even when it feels like we can't see what's happening, God is with us in every season, in every situation. God never leaves us or forsakes us because God has pledged God's self to us in a covenant relationship. And God demands that we seek him and pursue him and and work with him in all things, submit to him and change and grow and adapt as people, knowing there is no fear ahead. Because perfect love casts out fear. And Jesus always meets us in our broken places to breathe new life and restoration into them. God is always working behind the scenes. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the fact that you are constantly working in our lives. And sometimes, Lord, it feels like it could be hopeless. Sometimes it feels like things can't get any worse than they are. But God, you have given us these covenant relationships, the relationship that comes from the church, the relationship that comes from your love for us. Jesus, you gave your life for us. What an incredible gift it is to serve you. Lord, I pray over the marriages in this room that are hard, that are suffering that are challenging. We pray that you will breathe new life into them, that you will set couples back on your on, on solid ground. Jesus, we know that you can do that. Lord, we thank you for the marriages who have influenced us before us. We thank you for the relationships in our life that point towards your covenant love for people. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting because of broken relationships and I pray for peace and your strength to continue forth. And Lord, through it all, in the midst of our fasting, in the midst of our prayer, in the midst of our crying out to the void, will you remind us that you are working behind the scenes, that you are with us and not against us, that you love us and that you care for us. Will you remind us that you will never leave us or forsake us? Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and how it was shown to us on the cross. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.